This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sergeant and Mrs. Smith, you're going to love this house. Is that a tub in the kitchen? There's no field manual for finding the right home. But when you do, USAA Homeowners Insurance can help protect it the right way. Restrictions apply. Every five years in the U.S., the government releases what's called the Dietary Guidelines, These guidelines influence the way Americans think about their diet and nutrient intake. They can either improve or destroy the perception of certain foods. After the release of the 1980 Dietary Guidelines, saturated fat was regarded as evil. Eggs and bacon were replaced with sugar-heavy cereal and toast for breakfast. Steaks replaced with rice. Butter replaced with margarine. But despite this dietary movement... Today, roughly 39% of American adults are considered obese, and approximately 30% of American kids and teens are overweight or obese. So what exactly happened? Is it purely a coincidence that in the time Americans began to eat less fat, they put on more weight? In the last 10 years, speculation has grown substantially. Has the sugar industry been explicitly placing the blame on this evil saturated fat to keep the focus away from its deadly dangers? Is the cause of today's obesity epidemic saturated fat, sugar, or something else entirely? And is it all part of something bigger? According to some people, the U.S. government has hidden the true risks of sugar and demonized fat for its own malicious intent. Conspiracy? Maybe. Coincidence, maybe. Complicated? Absolutely. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, the podcast where we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. 
If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. I'm Carter Roy. I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. Today we're exploring the official story behind America's relationship with saturated fat and sugar. Since the federal release of the 1980 Dietary Guidelines, Americans have restricted their saturated fat intake to reduce their risk of heart disease. At the time, Americans were told to replace fatty foods with fat-free biscuits, cookies, and bread. In an effort to provide healthier choices, food manufacturers cut fat from their products and replaced the missing flavor by adding lots of sugar. However, it's no secret that the obesity epidemic is getting worse each year. Here's Health and Human Services Secretary Tommy Thompson speaking 20 years after those guidelines were released. Approximately 16 million, 16 million people between the ages of 40 and 74 are overweight and considered to have pre-diabetes. Which raises the question, did the government foresee this epidemic? Did they know that fat in moderation is healthy? And is it really sugar? that's making America fat. The official story of America's relationship with sugar and saturated fat goes back much farther than 1980. In 1862, President Abraham Lincoln founded the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA. USDA responsibilities range from assisting farmers with price support subsidies to reviewing food for the American public. That's where the publication of the Dietary Guidelines comes in. The USDA has been publishing guidelines for over 100 years as a dietary health source. In the late 1800s, Congress gave $10,000 to the USDA director of the Office of Experiment Stations, Wilbur Olin Atwater, to conduct nutrition studies. Atwater was passionate about this. He wrote, quote, the intellectual and moral condition and progress of men and women is largely regulated by their plane of living. The plane of their intellectual and moral life depends upon how they are housed and clothed and fed, end quote. Atwater went on to publish the first official USDA guidelines in 1894. The purpose of these original guidelines was to show the research done on the relationship between agriculture and human nutrition, in the late 1800s, nearly half of Americans lived on farms, so farm produce was the center of American lives. Interestingly, the 1894 guidelines suggested that people could live on meat alone and that milk was basically a perfect food. Atwater suggested diets based on protein, carbohydrates, fat, and mineral matter consumption. Mineral matter was a precursor to the vitamins we know we need today, many of which hadn't been discovered or studied yet. Milk, meat, carbohydrates, these guidelines line up a little too neatly with a country focused on agriculture. And this original healthy diet was packed with saturated fat. Maybe, but that wasn't the entirety of the guidelines. Atwater also wrote, quote, The evils of overeating may not be felt at once, but sooner or later they are sure to appear perhaps in an excessive amount of fatty tissue, perhaps in general debility, perhaps in actual disease, end quote. Right. He said not to overeat, 
but he wasn't suggesting avoiding any food in particular. Atwater set the stage for dietary guidelines to come, especially when it came to overindulging in disease. Through his research, he learned that overeating would lead to weight gain and that it could cause disease. However, it wasn't clear from his data exactly how overeating could cause disease and weight gain. But in the 30s, during the Great Depression, weight gain was not a concern. Malnutrition was. In 1933, nearly one-fifth of all preschool and school-aged children were showing signs of poor nutrition, according to Labor Secretary Francis Perkins. So in the 1940s, the USDA released another set of guidelines a guide to good eating. These guidelines suggested eating at least one serving from each of the seven food groups. The food groups listed, one, green and yellow vegetables, two, oranges and tomatoes, three, grapefruit, potatoes, and other vegetables and fruits, four, milk and milk products, such as cheese, five, meat, poultry, fish, or eggs, six, bread, flour, and cereals, seven, butter, and fortified margarine. The focus with these guidelines was all about nutrient consumption and preventing malnourishment. Note that milk and butter, both of which contain a significant amount of saturated fat, are their own distinct food groups, and there was no specific serving size recommended for any of these groups. The government was still sending the message that fat was good. At the same time, the USDA was getting involved with what children eat in schools to prevent malnutrition. Well, malnutrition wasn't the only reason for the USDA's involvement with school lunches. During World War II, with so many women in the workforce, the idea was that schools had to be responsible for childhood nutrition. So in 1946, Congress released the National School Lunch Act. Its purpose was to, quote, safeguard the health and well-being of the nation's children and to encourage the domestic consumption of nutritious agricultural commodities and other food by assisting the states through grant-in-aid and other means in providing an adequate supply of food and other facilities for the establishment, maintenance, operation, and expansion of nonprofit school lunch programs, end quote. Congress wanted kids to get enough nutrients, so the meals contained high levels of fat and calories. The reason this was such a huge deal is because, for the first time, the U.S. government was starting to get involved in the nutritional diets of our youth. Exactly. If the government controlled school lunches, they could dictate and steer the direction of our youth's dietary health into adulthood. So those guidelines had to be accurate, or else we'd wind up with a nation of unhealthy people. The next big change for American dietary guidelines came in 1955. That year, U.S. President Dwight Eisenhower had a heart attack. This was all part of a bigger widespread problem. In the mid to late 1950s, the U.S. began to encounter the coronary heart disease epidemic. No one knew what was causing this. It seemed to come out of nowhere. All of a sudden, an alarming amount of middle-aged men were dying from the disease. Women too, but primarily men. This epidemic had to be stopped, so scientists looked for answers. Eisenhower's doctor, Dr. Paul Dudley, gave a press conference the day after Eisenhower's heart attack and told Americans to stop smoking and decrease their consumption of fat and cholesterol to prevent a heart attack. Another doctor agreed with Mr. Dudley, Ansel Keys. Keys, a Minnesota epidemiologist, conducted the Seven Countries study. The study was launched in the late 1950s 
Keyes examined the diets and the coronary heart disease death rate of seven different countries, the USA, Finland, Netherlands, Italy, Greece, former Yugoslavia, and Japan. Each of these countries had a different daily diet. He researched the citizens' fat intake and compared that to the country's coronary heart disease death rate. He found that those citizens who consumed less than 10% of daily calories from saturated fat lived in countries with a lower risk of heart disease. He also found that saturated fats raise cholesterol levels. So Keyes concluded that a high intake of saturated fat and cholesterol causes coronary heart disease. For the first time, fat was dangerous. Saturated fat is often found in meat and other animal products like cheese and butter. And cholesterol is a type of fat in your blood. Your liver makes cholesterol, but you can also get cholesterol from foods such as meat, fish, eggs, and cheese. According to Keyes, cholesterol hardens inside the coronary arteries until blood flow is reduced and the heart ruptures. So consume less saturated fat and cholesterol and reduce your risk of heart disease. As for sugar, Keyes did not factor it into his study's conclusion. In fact, he dismissed the idea that sugar could cause heart disease. The blame for America's heart disease epidemic was placed on saturated fat, and the demonization of fat would only get worse once the findings of Key's study became public knowledge in 1978. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. And now, back to the story. Before we cover the 1980 dietary guidelines and how they changed the public perception of fat, we have to go over some of the history of sugar, specifically that of high fructose corn syrup. Sugarcane was brought to the U.S. in 1619, but it's a tropical plant that only grows near the equator, which makes it especially difficult to grow in the U.S. So in the 1950s, Oklahoma Agricultural Experiment Station, an organization that conducts research on agriculture, natural resources, rural economies, and social issues, was on a mission to find an easier alternative to traditionally grown sugarcane. Two of its researchers, Richard O. Marshall and Earl R. Coy, converted the glucose in corn syrup into fructose in 1957. Fructose is sweeter than glucose, and human taste buds can't distinguish a difference between fructose and natural sugar. So this high-fructose corn syrup was an ideal sugar substitute. However, Marshall and Coy's process required the toxic chemical arsenate. So in theory, the syrup couldn't be used for food products. A few years later, in 1961, Dr. K. Yamanaka discovered a catalyst to turn glucose into fructose that did not require arsenate. Yamanaka was working with the Japanese government at the Agency of Industrial Science and Technology when he perfected his formula for high-fructose corn syrup, the same formula used commonly today. Yamanaka's technique was patented in the U.S. in 1971. That same year, President Richard Nixon appointed Earl Butts as secretary of the USDA. 
Butt's goal was to protect farmers. He wanted a cheap, centralized food system to feed the world. The solution? Corn. Corn production is subsidized, so it's cheaper than sugarcane, much cheaper. And it's easier to transport than sugarcane. Up to this point, farm animals were the main consumers of corn, but Butts wanted to utilize grain production for humans to use this inexpensive crop. So around 1975, high fructose corn syrup was introduced to the American market at large. Manufacturers started to use high fructose corn syrup in everything. Soft drinks, juices, flavored yogurt, and processed foods. High fructose corn syrup was cheaper and sweeter than sugar, and corn grows abundantly in the U.S. However, it came with a huge downside. What they found was that MRI scans showed that brain activity was very different after people drank fructose beverages rather than glucose. Fructose did not activate the areas of the brain that tell you, I'm satisfied, I'm full, I've had enough. Fructose is metabolized in the liver. It is fat-producing and does not trigger insulin like glucose. Insulin helps glucose enter the body so that it can be used for energy. And since fructose doesn't stimulate leptin, the hormone in your brain that tells you when to stop eating, people want to eat more. Because of that, fructose can be addictive. In 1972, a British professor named John Yudkin released his book, Pure, White, and Deadly, which covered the dangers of sugar and high-fructose corn syrup. He claimed that sugar caused several chronic diseases, including heart disease. It makes a lot of sense when you think about how fat contributes to heart disease, and fructose is metabolized into fat inside the liver. A quote from the book reads, If only a small fraction of what we know about the effects of sugar were to be revealed in relation to any other material used as a food additive, that material would promptly be banned, end quote. However, Yudkin's book was widely ignored. U.S. food manufacturers continued to make use of high-fructose corn syrup. Oof, that's a bit suspicious. To be fair, up until this point, the USDA guidelines did not emphasize limiting fats or sugar. This brings us up to the creation of the 1980 Dietary Guidelines. In the late 1970s, in response to the heart disease epidemic that was still happening, the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Nutrition and Human Needs recommended dietary goals to the U.S. The USDA selected scientists to address the need for authoritative and dependable regulation on diet and health. And one thing the scientists considered was the findings of the Seven Countries study, which was published in 1978. As a result of this, a brochure was released in 1980 entitled, Nutrition in Your Health, Dietary Guidelines for Americans. The brochure describes seven principles for a healthy diet. The general direction of the 1980 guidelines discouraged the consumption of too much fat, saturated fat, and cholesterol. In addition, the guidelines instructed that Americans avoid too much sugar. This all seemed like sensible information. Avoid too much sugar, fat, saturated fat, and cholesterol, and eat a healthy, balanced diet. On the surface, yes, but there's more. The guidelines go on to say, quote, Eating extra saturated fat and cholesterol will increase blood cholesterol levels in most people. However, there are wide variations among people. There is controversy about what recommendations are appropriate for healthy Americans, but for the U.S. population as a whole, reduction in our current intake of total fat, saturated fat, and cholesterol is sensible." End quote. 
Additionally, according to the 1980 guidelines, quote, the major health hazard from eating too much sugar is tooth decay. Contrary to widespread opinion, too much sugar in your diet does not seem to cause diabetes. The most common type of diabetes is seen in obese adults, and avoiding sugar without correcting the overweight will not solve the problem, end quote. This is all verbatim from the 1980 guidelines. According to them, the only way sugar could harm you was by causing tooth decay. Tooth decay can be pretty nasty, but I see your point. But as far as the average American knew, it was most important to avoid fat. According to the 1980 guidelines, the idea was to eat all fats, oils, and sweets sparingly. And for Americans, that meant switching out the bacon, eggs, and cheese with starchy and processed foods, many of which contained hidden high fructose corn syrup and processed sugar. Remember, fructose tastes like sugar, but our body treats it like fat. So while Americans thought they were eating healthy, low-fat diets, they were unwittingly filling their bodies with fat. Knowing this, we can see why the guidelines didn't produce the intended effect. Let's assess the general health of Americans during the 80s. In 1980, roughly 15% of adults in the U.S. were considered obese, and 7% of kids 6 to 11 were considered obese. In response to the anti-fat recommendations in the dietary guidelines, low-fat, high-carb diets were suddenly all the rage. Americans took out the fat, but added lots of sugar. High fructose corn syrup was in bread, pretzels, even condiments. And on every package in large text, you'd see low fat or fat free in all caps up in the top right corner. Throughout the 80s, this low fat, no fat trend continued, but the obesity rate did not decrease. And by the 1990s, corn production had tripled. It wasn't just the farmers who controlled the corn. The government paid farmers immense subsidies, $4 billion in 1988 to be exact, according to the 1997 Economist article, The Farm Belt Breaks Free. Agriculture subsidies keep food prices low. That's because the subsidies become transfer taxpayer payments. And so, the corn production and the heavy use of high fructose corn syrup in food products continued. By 1990, just over 20% of American adults were considered obese, roughly a 5% increase since 1980. Prior to that, the obesity rate among American adults aged 20 to 74 had remained relatively steady, according to the Centers for Disease Control. Because of the rising obesity rate, the 1995 USDA Dietary Guidelines added something new to their listed recommendations, but it wasn't cutting out high-fructose corn syrup. It was exercise. The dietary guidelines transformed into general health guidelines at this point. In the 90s, it was all about step aerobics, Tybo, buns of steel, and the thigh master. The guidelines were intended to improve the health of Americans. For the overweight, the guidelines suggested losing weight. For the underweight, that meant gaining weight. The 1995 brochure stated, quote, in order to stay at the same body weight, people must balance the amount of calories in the foods and drinks they consume with the amount of calories the body uses. Physical activity is an important way to use food energy, end quote. To be fair, the 1995 guidelines did encourage, quote, less fat and fewer high fat foods, eat pasta, rice, breads, and cereals without fats and sugars added, end quote. 
and to eat some dietary fat for good health. They continued, quote, fat supply energy and essential fatty acids and promote absorption of the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. Most people are aware that high levels of saturated fat and cholesterol in the diet are linked to increased blood cholesterol levels and a great risk for heart disease. More Americans are now eating less fat, saturated fat, and cholesterol-rich foods than in the recent past, and fewer people are dying from the most common form of heart disease." End quote. Fat may have been hated less, but it was still the enemy. In the 90s, Americans started paying close attention to the calories from fat sections on nutrition labels. Now, people weren't just looking at their overall fat and calorie intake. They were looking at their consumption of calories from fat. A calorie is just a unit of energy measurement. There are three categories of calories, protein, fat, and carbohydrates. A fat calorie can be stored as fat more simply than a carbohydrate or protein calorie. So when you're looking at the back of the label and see calories from fat, those are calories that are coming from the fat in the food. As for sugar, the 1995 guidelines said, quote, sugars are carbohydrates. During digestion, all carbohydrates except fiber break down into sugars. Sugars and starches occur naturally in many foods that also supply other nutrients. Scientific evidence indicates that diets high in sugars do not cause hyperactivity or diabetes. Avoiding sugars alone will not correct overweight. To lose weight, reduce the total amount of calories from the food you eat, and increase your level of physical activity. End quote. It's interesting that they specifically said sugar does not lead to diabetes when we know now, according to the American Diabetes Association, that drinking sugary drinks is linked to type 2 diabetes. Officially, the USDA was not aware of that in 1995. True. And it's likely not all Americans were following the guidelines, but overall, they still weren't effective. By 1999, 30.5% of American adults were considered obese. Guess cutting out the fat didn't stop the rising epidemic. The obesity rate had nearly tripled since the 1980 dietary guidelines were released. This is the biggest peak in the American obesity rate ever recorded. Americans were consuming 10% less fat than they were in 1980, but still, overall, getting fatter. While the obesity epidemic continued to worsen, something positive did happen. From 1980 to 2000, the coronary heart disease death rate decreased. There were 341,745 fewer deaths from coronary heart disease in 2000 compared to 1980, according to the New England Journal of Medicine. Even though the heart disease death rate was comparably lower than before 1980, the threat of the disease continued. People were eating less fat and exercising. So shouldn't they be getting healthier? You'd think so. President Bill Clinton was specifically interested in stopping the obesity epidemic. Over the past 20 years, there's been a tripling, a tripling, in how many snack foods like chips and crackers kids are eating, a doubling in their intake of soft drinks. In 2000, President Clinton announced the release of the new dietary guidelines. These guidelines finally called out the extra calories from carbs and added sugar as a cause for the obesity epidemic. In his 2000 speech, he said, 
quote, were eating more fast food because of our hectic schedules and were less physically active because of our growing reliance on modern conveniences, from cars to computers to remote controls. As a result, more and more Americans are overweight or obese, including 1 in 10 children. This is an alarming trend because obesity and bad eating habits contribute to four of the leading causes of death, heart disease, stroke, cancer, and diabetes, end quote. A week after this speech, Clinton arranged to have experts meet in Washington for a summit on nutrition, sponsored by the Departments of Agriculture and Health and Human Services. Clinton stressed that these guidelines, quote, determine, among other things, the nutritional content of the lunches served to 26 million of our children every day in school, end quote. The 2000 guidelines finally acknowledged the increase of American sugar intake. This was a huge adjustment. The 2000 guidelines said, quote, since the early 1990s, Americans have increased their calorie intake. This increase has come largely from an increased intake of carbohydrates, mainly in the form of added sugars, end quote, i.e. soft drinks, cookies, biscuits, the foods that were traditionally known to be non and low fat. The 2005 Dietary Guidelines continued to emphasize the importance of physical activity and healthy, balanced eating. Furthermore, they encouraged 30 minutes of physical activity on most days for adults. For children, they recommended at least 60 minutes of physical activity. According to the 2005 Guidelines, saturated fat consumption should be kept as low as possible to prevent coronary heart disease. Dietary intake of saturated fat is much higher than that of trans fat and cholesterol. Intakes of all three fats should be decreased. However, decreasing intake of saturated fat is most beneficial because it is consumed in great amounts. According to the USDA Dietary Guidelines, the key recommendation for healthy weight control was to burn more calories than you consumed. But the obesity epidemic didn't go away. By 2005, Nearly 35% of American adults and 16% of American youth were considered obese. This was a smaller percentage increase than in previous 10-year spans, but an increase nonetheless. Why were Americans continuing to gain weight? Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now back to the story. In 2008, University of California, San Francisco professor of pediatrics, Robert Lustig, MD, MSL, released a lecture on sugar called Sugar, the Bitter Truth. The University of California's Robert Lustig says the less sugar you're eating, the better. But he thinks if the sugar threshold is lowered, breakfast cereal's going to have a really hard time justifying its existence. Lustig's referring to sweetened cereals often aimed at children. Besides Yudkin's pure, white, and deadly, most scientists didn't blame America's high rates of heart attacks, obesity, diabetes, and related diseases on sugar. Remember, Pure, White, and Deadly was the 1972 book from British professor John Yudkin. He warned about sugar and how it's a disease-causing product, but he was ignored and even ridiculed in the science world, since his book contradicted Key's popular Seven Countries study, which determined that a low-fat diet was healthy. But in Robert Lustig's 2008 lecture, Sugar, the Bitter Truth, he argued that sugar, primarily fructose, is toxic, a literal poison. 
Lustig argued that the reason we need to be careful is because high-fructose corn syrup is added to the majority of our processed foods. Most people don't know how much they actually consume in a day. Lustig mentioned that 30% of the fructose we eat ends up as new fat, damaging the liver and failing to provide cellular energy. It also leads to the formation of free radicals that can result in liver inflammation. And that's not good because the liver assists digestion and produces bile to break down food into energy, create hormones, clean toxins from the blood, and control fat storage and cholesterol. Lustig brought it to the forefront that high fructose corn syrup can be dangerous, turning the tide for fat-free products. At the same time, low-carb diets started to become the trend of the mid-2000s, like the Atkins diet and the South Beach diet. The Atkins diet encourages the consumption of meat, cheese, and eggs while discouraging any carbs, fruit, or sugar. It was known to produce fast weight loss. Unfortunately, some scientists believe that the Atkins diet isn't entirely healthy. The American Medical Association, American Dietetic Association, and the American Heart Association deeply contested the Atkins diet. Registered dietitian Ellen Coleman says the diet can cause ketosis, dehydration, calcium depletion, weakness, nausea, and kidney problems. But there are other low-carb, high-fat trends such as the paleo diet. The whole idea of the paleo diet is if a caveman ate it, you can too. Things like meats, fish, nuts, leafy greens, veggies, and seeds. Since a caveman wouldn't be able to find a piece of a candy bar or pasta out in the wilderness, you can't eat it. Although more research is needed for both diets, the overall premise for nutrition now is that we haven't yet evolved to eat sugars, dairy, legumes, and peanuts and grains. Our environment is evolving faster than our bodies. Our bodies are still hunter-gatherer bodies. According to Harvard human evolutionary biology professor Daniel E. Lieberman, quote, the bodies we inherited are still mostly adapted to a hunter-gatherer way of life, which includes plentiful exercise and a diet rich in protein and fiber, but low in saturated fat and simple sugars. In 2014, the U.S. National Institutes of Health performed a research study on 150 men and women. For one year, they had to either go on a high-fat, low-carb diet or high-carb, low-fat diet. Calories were not limited. The people on the low-carb, high-fat diet lost roughly 8 pounds more than the low-fat, high-carb dieters. Additionally, the high-fat, low-carb dieters were more likely to lose weight from fat tissue. The low-fat group lost weight, but from muscles. But still, according to the American Heart Association, eating foods with saturated fats increases your cholesterol, and that increases your risk of heart disease and stroke. Well, not all scientists agree. In a 2015 BMJ research study, they concluded, quote, saturated fats are not associated with coronary heart disease mortality, end quote. But according to clinical professor of medicine at UCSF, Dr. Dean Ornish, quote, these data, BMJ, showed just the opposite. Intake of saturated fats was significantly correlated with each of these measures. In the abstract, only the most adjusted data were reported, yet the least adjusted data showed a statistically significant relationship between intake of saturated fats and increased all-cause mortality, 
mortality from cardiovascular disease, prevalence of coronary heart disease, risk of stroke, and risk of type 2 diabetes, end quote. The fat debate continues. Scientists are learning that there are alternate forms of cholesterol, LDL and HDL. LDL stands for low-density lipoprotein, and HDL stands for high-density lipoprotein. Lipoprotein is a group of proteins that transport fat into blood plasma. When you calculate total cholesterol, you're including both LDL and HDL. High levels of LDL cholesterol are linked to increased risk of heart disease. And saturated fat is known to increase your LDL cholesterol levels. However, new research has shown that there are two types of this bad LDL cholesterol, small dense LDL and large LDL. Small dense LDL is bad because the lipoproteins can enter the arterial wall easily. Which increases your chance of heart disease. And who is at risk of developing small dense LDL in the blood? According to Jennifer Mall, PharmD, it's individuals who consume a high amount of carbohydrates in their diet, especially refined sugars, those that consume trans fats in their diet, anyone who has uncontrolled diabetes, and individuals who have been diagnosed with metabolic syndrome. So according to Mall, saturated fat doesn't affect your risk of developing small, dense LDL cholesterol that leads to heart disease. But refined sugar does. And here's a report on a recent CDC study on the health effects of a high sugar diet. The CDC team studied questions about diet answered by some 30,000 people in national health surveys from 1998 through 2010. They found adults who got at least 25% of daily calories from added sugar were three times more likely to die of heart problems than those who consumed the least, 10%. For those who got more than 15%, the equivalent of about two cans of sugary soda out of 2,000 calories each day, the risk was almost 20% higher. I'm Tim McGuire. With this knowledge, let's look at the present-day guidelines. The present guidelines lay out five rules. One, follow a healthy eating pattern across the lifespan. Two, focus on variety, nutrient density, and amount. Three, limit calories from added sugars and saturated fats and reduce sodium intake. Four, shift to healthier food and beverage choices. And finally, five, support healthy eating patterns for all. In the wake of all this new research, the traditional food pyramid was recently replaced with My Plate, an animated plate that allocates the daily servings needed from each food group. The average adult should eat six to eight ounces of grains a day, two to three cups of vegetables, two cups of fruit, two to three cups of dairy products, and three to six ounces of lean meats, poultry, and seafood a day. And the present guidelines suggest consuming less than 10% of calories per day from added sugar and from saturated fats. But under the dairy section, it still suggests to choose fat-free dairy products to cut back on saturated fat. Even though fat-free dairy products often have added sugar. As our dietary trends change year by year, many scientists conclude that the best thing to do is eliminate too much saturated fat and processed sugar. But listen to this. Americans are positively drowning in sugar. The average American consumes 64 pounds of added or refined sugars every year. The average teenager consumes at least 109 pounds of these refined sugars per year. So that's where we are today. 
It all began with the farming industry in the late 1800s and the rise of the USDA. Then Eisenhower endured a heart attack during the rise of the coronary heart disease epidemic. People were dying at an alarming rate from the disease. Ansel Keys conducted the Seven Countries study, which concluded that eating a lot of saturated fat and cholesterol would increase your risk of heart disease. And that study heavily influenced how Americans perceived saturated fat. But John Yudkin, the British professor, blamed sugar for the epidemic. His studies were widely disregarded. Then, in 1980, the dietary guidelines reflected the Seven Countries study, heavily discouraging saturated fat to prevent heart disease. In most processed food, fat was replaced with high-fructose corn syrup. But by the late 1990s, a new epidemic struck America. Obesity. Non-fat and low-fat diets were all the rage, but the widespread problem didn't go away. The guidelines made a few adjustments here and there, recommending exercise and watching calorie intake. But it wasn't until the 2000s that John Yudkin's studies on sugar were reopened. Scientists and doctors like Robert Lustig made a point that hidden high fructose corn syrup and fructose are the primary reasons for the obesity epidemic. That's the official story. But it's not the most interesting story and maybe not the true story. Here are a few conspiracy theories about sugar, obesity, and saturated fat. Conspiracy theory number one. The U.S. government is paying scientists to release negative studies about saturated fat to hide the dangers of sugar, shifting the blame to fat. We've already acknowledged that high fructose corn syrup is inexpensive and that there are conflicting studies about saturated fat and sugar. As we'll explore in part two, studies require funding. And who's supplying that funding? Well, the Seven Countries study was financed through grants from the National Heart Institute and the American Heart Association. None of these organizations funded John Yudkin's sugar research. We'll look into them next week. Conspiracy theory number two. The Japanese created high fructose corn syrup to kill Americans. Uh, sounds a little out there. As mentioned, Dr. Kei Yamanaka discovered the correct formula for the high fructose corn syrup while working with the Japanese government at the Agency of Industrial Science and Technology. So we know it came from Japan. But was there an ulterior motive here? Conspiracy theory number three. The government wants to fatten us up on purpose for the sake of money, because no one makes money when you're healthy. We did mention how the USDA controls agriculture by paying subsidies to farmers. So in turn, they have control in the crops grown in the U.S. It's possible they foresaw the obesity epidemic all along, and maybe it was all part of the plan. We are spending more money on health care than any previous generation. And since the government controls the dietary guidelines, they advise us on what's healthy and what's not. Perhaps there's a secretive, malicious scheme under it all for the purpose of monetary gain. The sicker Americans get, the more money the government makes. We'll discuss more next week. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. If you want to hear more Conspiracy Theories, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. 
It seems simple, but it really helps our show. Tell us your favorite conspiracy theories on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. Join us next week as we take a second look at sugar and fat. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskind, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Conspiracy Theories is written by Mary Merkins and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 